0: I know we already sung it in the song that there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I'm just going to ask you, don't you just feel the spirit in this place today? Amen. It's so just moving from heart to heart and breast to breast. And bringing a calmness, if you will. In a time where there's a lot of unrest and uncertainty. And it's a blessed assurance when we know that, that we have a savior and that we have a comforter that will comfort us in the most trying of days that we are able to keep a peace that goes beyond all understanding because he empowers us in order to do that especially in these troubling times on this Pentecost Sunday as we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. If it had not been Had not been for the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, as the song said, "Where will we be? Where will we be?" He's a person within His own self, and sometimes we refer to the Holy Spirit as an as it it the Spirit it fell. No, it's He who it's the personification of God Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's mystical. We can't hardly understand that with our limited understanding, but it is what it is. That they all dwell and they have a total, complete respect of one another and they communicate with one another because it's complete harmony as they move about. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just celebrate the Holy Spirit right now. If you don't mind. ask you if you would turn with me, please, to Second Kings, the 6th chapter, starting at verse 8, 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, starting at verse 8. I'm reading from the NIV version. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. The man of God is Elisha here. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked out the place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Abraham. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early, in the, early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Here's Elisha. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the enemy came down toward him. Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness, just as Elisha Elisha had asked. So this morning, we just want to talk a little bit about this unseen army. The unseen army. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you and we bless you, dear Lord, on this day, on this Pentecost Sunday. And God, we just give you all honor and praise and thanksgiving. And as we now come for this time of sharing of your word, God, I pray for your strength. I pray for your guidance. I pray that you will just fill me with your spirit afresh, dear Lord, as to bring this word today. I pray that you prepare the hearts and the minds and the ears of your people. And we just thank you right now for for what you've always promised us, that you will send your word and your word will not ever fail. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to talk a few minutes about this unseen army. But before we do, I, I want to just step back a moment and just kind of frame, if you will, a little bit about Elisha and you know who he is. And to speak about Elisha and who he is, we have to talk about who he was under, who he worked with. And that was that Elisha was the protege of the prophet Elijah. Now, I'm already going to... T- Tell you right now to please excuse me because Elijah and Elisha, those names sometimes I get them twisted around. Okay, so if I be calling one, I'm supposed to be calling the other, you know, you know what we're talking about. Okay, <laughs> so, so Elijah, we, we have to talk about Elijah uh, before we can really just talk about and get into the story about Elisha, uh, because again, we're saying that Elijah, I mean Elisha, is the protege. He was under the mentorship, if you will, of Elijah. Now, we first are introduced to the prophet Elijah over in 1 Kings around the 17th verse. Uh, And and, and in that um, chapter, the 17th chapter, and in that chapter, we find that Elijah has now gone before the king of Ahab as God has directed him. And he's telling Ahab that there is going to be a famine and the famine was going to run for a period of time, causing a national hunger, a national famine in his country. If you recall, this is the same Elijah because he, he comes all through the, the chapters in the in the um, of the books, of, if you will, and, and Elijah has just did so many things. So I just want to make sure that you know who we are talking about here. Elijah is the same guy that after he talked to Ahab and gave him the prophetic word about the famine, he's the same guy, Elijah, that God told him, Now you go down by the book of Kareet, and I want you to stay there right now and the only and don't worry about what you 're going to eat and what you 're going to drink because i 'm going to send ravens to feed you, and the ravens brought him meat and bread, and he drank from the water from the water of Carith. and as you read that story um, we continue to read that story, you will see that the brook eventually dries up, and that just tells you something you sometimes you wonder why you 're in a dry place because God will dry up what you are depending upon just so that you can depend on him even the more. And so that's where Elijah found himself. And and Elijah was, again, was the same prophet who who supernaturally provided food for the widow of Zarephath. If you remember that story, um, she and her son were dying from the famine that he had already predicted to Ahab, and he provided food for them supernaturally. This is the same Elijah who challenged the 150 of Baal's prophet when he charged them and said, I'm going to show you who is the real God. This is the same Elijah. This is the, also the same Elijah who, in a fit of depression, goes off into a cave running from, uh, running from Jezebel out of fear and frustration. So you can be prophetic, you can be all about God and for God, but it doesn't mean that depression and down and feeling down and trodden won't fall upon you won't fall upon you. And that was Elijah. So Elijah, and the other fascinating thing about Elijah is that Elijah is the prophet who did not ever taste death. Um, His translation, if you will, came with a fiery chariot coming from heaven, picking getting Elijah, and Elijah goes off to heaven, and Elijah never tastes death. And it's believed that that Elijah's translation from earth to heaven is representative of the fact that when when the rapture occurs, some of us are going to be alive. Everybody is not going to have a physical death, but when the rapture comes, if we are still around when the rapture comes, then some of us will be raptured Alive. If the rapture were to come right now at this moment, all of us who are saved in Jesus Christ, we would not touch death. We would immediately be trans- translated into heaven. And so that is what Elijah's translation uh, appears. And if you also recall, as we move over into the, the the New Testament, we find Elijah over there. Now keep in mind he has already gone to heaven, but we do find Elijah reappearing, if you will, at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Elijah returns, and so does Moses. Both of them meet Jesus Christ at the transfiguration. So Elijah again is one of the, the one of the prophets, most prominent prophets that we find um, through out um, the the story of Christianity, the story uh, of God and how he is operating. And so Elijah was God's appointed man for the nation of Israel, and he was there for an appointed season. But his time was going to come to an end. Elijah was not going to stay on earth forever. And so God then appointed Elisha to succeed Elijah. Elijah and Elisha, if you will, are a wonderful example of mentorship, and that is of mentorship, uh, 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 because it, it, it becomes our responsibility whether you, especially if you're a leader, but if you're a parent or, or anyone that you may have influence over. But but it is our responsibility to mentor those who are going to be coming up behind us. Uh, it's, it's it's our responsibility to share. knowledge and to share our experiences and to share our our wisdom and skills and and, and it's important that we take time to intentionally pour into other people because the truth of the matter is you want the the ministry to continue, you want the legacy to continue, you want people to continue to grow and so when God puts something in us, we have to practice the, the, the principle of reproduction and there being again, to reproduce by pouring into other people. And that was, was the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. It was a transference of, of values. It was, it was he taking time teaching and showing Elisha how to be effective of a prophet? What are the sacrifices that you're going to have to make as a prophet? How to walk that walk as a prophet? When you have someone who has gone before you coming back to teach you and to instruct you, it makes the way easier for you because you don't have to make some of the same mistakes that they made. Um, You can learn from them. And so that was what Elisha was doing. He was learning from the prophet Elijah. And he said to Elijah before he was taken up to heaven, he said, I want a double double anointing. I don't know if he really knew what he was asking for, but he said, I want a double anointing. Now, you know, I want to be highly anointed too, but I may have to take a pause for a moment because I don't know what God might do to do that double anointing because anointing comes from being squeezed, if you will. It comes from pressure, if you will, and I don't know about that, but he asked for a double anointing and, and Elijah said, I can't promise that to you, but if you see me going up, And when he went up, the mantle of Elijah fell down on Elisha, and Elisha ran to it and grabbed up the mantle. I'm going to tell you, when you ask for the anointing, don't pass it up. Go grab it up. Just like Elisha did, he went and he grabbed up the mantle. So here he is. Here he is now. The prophet over Israel. The prophet over Israel. And so, as Elijah's earthly days had Come to an end. Had he come to an end and his leg of the race was over. And here we have Elisha now. He is now the prophet. He is now continuing, continuing. I want to be clear. He's not continuing Elijah's vision or Elijah's mission he is now continuing the mission of God. He is continuing God's vision. Sometimes people get that so confused and think that visions come to people and that it's there that they are the owners of the vision. But when a vision comes from God, he is the visionary. He allows you to see what it is that he wants to get done and then he invites you to come and join him in the work to get it done and it's up to you whether you do it or not but he invites you to join in to work with him, and so we don't ever want to get it confused in saying that someone is carrying on someone else's vision. If it comes from God, it is God's vision. Elisha was carrying out God's vision, and he was not following in Elijah's footsteps, and the reason I say that, in order to fall into Elijah's footsteps, it means that he had to be following Elijah, Elijah was in heaven. His footsteps had ended. His footsteps had ended. Elisha was now walking in his own shoes, if you will. And and that's when you are moving out into ministry or whatever the calling God has on your life. God is expecting you not to be like someone else or to minister like someone else, or to teach like someone else, or to pray like someone else, or to lead like... He wants you to be who you are because that's who he called you to be. He doesn't want a duplicate. He doesn't want a, a, a representation of something else. He asks for you. And so he asked for Elisha, and Elisha had to walk it himself, not walking behind Elijah. Elijah's in heaven. He ain't making no more footsteps. It's all over well. And so now it's Elisha's time to minister in his own God-given right. So now let's get back to this story here. So now here we got the king of Abraham, which is, which is, which is modern-day Syria now. So Aram had been made, made several attempts of trying to, um, to invade Israel. He wanted to attack Israel. And so he was, of course, you're going to attack somebody, you don't let them know you're coming. So, see, that's another thing. Because see, this whole lesson right here, this whole thing is about spiritual warfare. I just want to make that clear. is all about spiritual warfare. You see, because see, the enemy don't want you to know he's coming. But he's making plans to attack you. So as he's making the plans to attack you, and in this case, every time he tried to come up against Israel, Israel was ready for him. And that's because God had warned Elisha who intends, who who goes out to the king of of Israel and tells the king, Arab is going to attack you at such and such a place. Be ready for him when he comes down. And, and, And so he was warning. And every time the king of Arab was going to make that attack, God would speak to Elisha. In make his little way on down to the king of Israel and go, don't go down this way because Arab is going to be over there. How many of you, don't you just love it when the Lord just comes and gives you a heads up that something is about to go down? How many of you have felt in your spirit, deep in your spirit, you didn't know where it was coming from. You didn't know who was it all about. But something told you something is about to go down. Uh huh. I know, I know, I know. If I can talk, where, where are my parents at? How many of you as parents felt in your spirit that something was about to go down with your kids? And you go to your kid and your kid is wondering, how did you know that something was about to go down? And that's because the Holy Spirit said something is about to go down. That's what was happening. That's what was happening. He was letting them know that something was about to happen, and that's how the word of the Spirit does. He drops the word into your spirit, and you just go ahead and follow through. And don't, just don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. That, that little nudging he'd be telling you, um, how many of you know, thank God, you were very attentive to the nudging? Yeah. Kept you out of some stuff, didn't it? It also put you into some stuff. <laughs> you ain't trying to go there, but it's going to send you over there anyway because you got, you got something you want to do. And so, and so the reason why Elisha, Elisha was operating, and, and we look at the prophets of the Old Testament in particular, um, some were a little different. You have Moses who was different. But, but the thing of it is, and what I'm saying was different, is that the, 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 the Holy Spirit back then did not dwell in everyone. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit was not universal. The, the Holy Spirit um, would rest on individuals individuals like, like, like Elisha and Elijah, and, and his resting was temporary. Uh, the Holy Spirit did not always stay permanently. Everybody didn't have the Holy Spirit. So, so Israel, I mean, the king of Israel, uh, although he was God's man, He didn't have the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost was not with him. That's where the prophet comes in. The prophet was operating because the prophet is the mouthpiece of God. And because the Holy Spirit was resting on on Elisha, he was resting on Elisha for that particular assignment, and that's why they had such a close relationship. So as you notice when you go through the scriptures and you're reading about in the Old Testament how the kings had, their, had the prophets and how, you know, you had, you had Samuel who was speaking to Saul, and he was also there with David, and you had Nathan, you know. And then, and of course, when you go back, um, Moses, when I say he was different, Moses was a prophet, if you will. God spoke directly to Moses. He spoke directly to Moses. But Elisha, uh, the spirit was speaking to Elisha because the spirit was, selective during those days and it was temporary it only came upon certain individuals. That's why today is so special. That's why today the Pentecost Sunday is so special because see now every single one of you who has received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior you now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you don't need someone to come to you to tell you what the Lord has said because the Lord going to talk to you directly. Now what might happen is a confirmation confirmation, but your conversation is directly with the God. Because see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but when Jesus Christ died on the cross and the the veil was rent, that gave us an opportunity to enter directly into the king. And so that I don't need permission from anyone to speak to the Father, but I can speak to him directly. I don't need permission or need someone to tell me what moves to make because it's going to come from the Father if I'm in in relationship with Him. The Holy Spirit rests and abides within everyone. That's why your body is a temple. That's why we have to be careful about where we go and what we say and what we do. It's because once you're saved the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. So it means it follows you. Mm. Where where have you taken the Holy Spirit lately? I just want you to know. (laughs) you've taken him lately and so and so so here so here we are so here we are so so when the king when the king of Aram finds out that it's Elisha that prophet telling his business to the king Aram, the king of Aram, is, he is outdone. He is ticked off to the max. And so what he does, he looks like he's so upset, he goes and gets an entire, he calls his army together, and he sends his entire army to go down to capture one man. One man. Let me pause for a moment. See, when the Lord have you in a mission, when you're on a call, when God have you directly in something that he has called you to, and you are wondering why you're going through hell, the reason you are going through hell is because the enemy is aware of the mission that God has given to you and so his intention is to capture you and to kill you so that you can shut your mouth and go sit down somewhere so that and so that you won't be interfering in his work because his whole assignment is, is to destroy anything that God wants to get done and because that is his assignment then we have to understand that when the enemy comes in like an army on one person we need to understand who the enemy is and why the enemy is coming in I may be just moving a tad bit ahead of myself but I'm just want to say here so we find that that's what was happening with Elisha and so on that morning his 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 servant Gehazi Steps out of his door. Now, can you imagine? I'm getting up in the morning. I'm going to step outside to go and take my morning walk. And as I'm stepping outside, there is poor Gehazi coming out, thinking everything was cool, calm, and collected. And he looks up, and here is ah- the, the army of Arab ah- ah- all around. Horses and soldiers and chariots, and they met business. The servant runs back in the house as the scriptures tells us. And he goes to Elijah and he's just saying, oh, I'm going I'm to add to, it. oh, my God. Have you seen who is like You have got to come and see this. They are all around us. What are we going to do? I'm going to tell you something. He, he didn't do anything that I wouldn't have done. <laughs> I would have done the same thing. Oh, my God. I'm one of those people that I freak out before I get my head together. Anybody else like that except for me? I lose it first. And then I get it together. And <laughs> I'll tell you the story. You know, that, I tell you a story that one time somebody broke in my house, right? So somebody broke in the house, the police come and I'm sitting in my truck. Cause the police told me to stay in the truck. He was going back behind the house and see if the uh, the robber had was behind the house. And he said, Now you stay in your truck and if he comes out the door, your front door, blow your horn, and I'm going to come around. Don't get out the truck. <laughs> I said, okay, 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 okay. So I get in the truck, and at this time, Ricky was living at home. And I forgot to call Ricky and tell Ricky there's a, there was a robbery. <laughs> so Ricky pulls up. I'm mom. I went into mom mode. And I was like, oh my God, there's my son. The crook might come out the house. (laughs) So I opened up the door and because I had the locks on the door, the alarm goes off. (laughs) I'm like, Ricky, Ricky, get in the truck, get in the truck. The police come running around the corner, gun drawn. Where is he? Where is he? I said, he's nowhere. (laughs) It's my son. I was trying to take my son. He's nowhere, you know. (laughs) The police officer's like... (laughs) (laughs) So I had my moments of not being composed. I was not composed at that moment. So, so I, could just, I could relate to the servant right here very clearly. I'm not judging him in the least. Right? I am not putting him down. I ain't talking about his faith. I ain't doing none of that because I understand where the brother was coming from. There's a problem out there. He didn't know what he was going to do with it. <laughs> but Elijah was cool, calm, and collected. Elijah steps out and he said, "Look, look, look!" Told, "Don't be, don't be afraid." And I don't know for some reason, I just imagined Elijah was eating a eating a drumstick at the time. <laughs> I don't know why I had that vision, but it, you know. But anyway, <laughs> I just had this vision. He came up with a piece of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about a thing. He's telling you, don't don't you worry about it. And and he says, he tells him, he says, don't don't worry about it. And and then that's when um. As we're looking at it, and as I'm looking at this story and what was happening here, and again, this story has so many themes, if you will. There's so many lessons. Again, we're talking about lessons about mentorship. It's lessons, of, lessons about faith and lessons about trust. However, when we look at it, Elijah says, Elisha says to him, Elisha then decides, I'm going to pray to God and ask God to open Hazy's eyes so he could see. What I found about in the story that the defeat of Aram's army is really more about who defeated the enemy and less about the victory itself. It's more about the who. Who is the who? Because Elisha was telling him, it's more than us out here. You just can't see him. Do you understand what I'm saying is? The who in the story is not the army of Aran. The who in the story is the angelic hosts that are surrounding Elisha. They're the who, and, and when we look at the who, we have to look at the fact that we're talking about angels and, the, and, and and what God has and we're going to do a, we're going to do a study on that. We need to talk about the doctrine of angels, if you will. You know, a nice study on that, because there are hierarchies of angels. You have some angels who are messengers. You have you have some angels who who um, who, who are. Are are servants. Well, all of them are servants, and then and then you have some angels, and their 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 main responsibility is to constantly stand before the Lord and before God and to worship Him and to worship Him. And then you have another class of angels. They are uh, under the direction of Michael. You got the warring angels. That was Michael and his crew that had now come uh, around Elisha. Um. To, to protect him. And, 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 and the thing of it is, is that we don't often think about angels fighting for us. Uh, we don't often think about the fact that there is an angelic host that is out and about and that will come through the power of prayer. And, and, and it is the angelic host, it's the appearance of this angelic host that is around Elisha that moves us from the seen to the unseen. It, it, it takes us from the visible world into an, in, 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 to an invisible dimension uh, that the physical eye cannot see and cannot sense. And, and what it does, it then focuses it uh, takes our focus, if you will, off of flesh and blood. It takes our focus off of flesh and blood and it refocuses our spiritual eyes to the true source of where suffering comes from, to the source where injustices and financial issues and family struggles and marriage problems and addiction problems and, and a multitude of other challenges, both big and small, it helps us to focus on the fact that the origin of our struggles and our suffering is not the sole creation of humankind, even though we participate, and even though the enemy can take advantage of it, but it's not the sole creation of humankind. Rather, it's Genesis, is the works of principalities and, and rulers of the darkness and the spiritual hosts and of wickedness in heavenly places. There is in an invisible realm that we don't always pay attention Attention to, but the fact is it is just as real as you and I are sitting here right now. And this passage opens our eyes up to what was happening. It was opening our eyes up to how spiritual warfare actually takes place. It opens our eyes up to let us do and to remind us that there is an invisible dimension that we sometimes ignore, we dismiss, or we don't pay close attention to, but it's still there. Just because we don't pay attention to it does not mean it's not there. It's not in effect. And that's what it opens us up to this past week. On several occasions. It's just been one of those weeks, if you will. Sometimes you just gotta encourage yourself. <laughs> and sometimes you got and, and, and while you're encouraging yourself, you gotta encourage other folks. You know what I'm saying? So we had to remind some people that when you are fighting for justice, when you are here fighting for what's right, the battle it's not really with the lawmakers. The battle is not all in the voting booth. The battle is not just with politicians and management companies. It's not just with unjust policies and rules that deny one's rights to freedom. The battle is not, it's not with the one who overdosed on opioids. It's not just with the one who is selling it. The battle is not with the person who pulled the trigger and took the life of a loved one or took the life of someone who was meaningful and 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 had an impact on the community, the battle is not with the one who pulled that trigger. The battle is not with the fact that the city of Annapolis has intentionally and strategically implemented policies and practices that moved the black community out of downtown Annapolis and because of lack of opportunities many of our people have been crammed into public housing the battle is not there because although each of those issues is a fight within itself a fight within itself the thing of it is is the battle is not with what we see the battle is what we don't see the battle is in what we don't see. We are dealing with a darkness. We are dealing with an evilness that is determined to maintain control and to keep a stronghold over our community and over our people and over your family and over wherever it is that you're involved in. There is an enemy who does not want you to be happy. He does not want you to be free. He wants you to be bound and locked down. And he's going to do everything in his power to keep you there. And we have to understand the battle is not with the person sitting across the table from you. The battle is the, is the spirit that's behind the person that's influencing that person to make it. And when we go to war, we got to be aware of both the visible and the invisible. Because I'm telling you, if you try to fight this thing only by what you see, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Because you're focusing on the wrong thing. Keep it in your eyesight. Don't, keep it in the line of vision. Don't get me wrong. Don't take what I'm saying that going, go, going to the voting booth doesn't mean anything. No, 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 no. You got to do that. But you also have to understand that there is a greater war that is happening and it's taking place on a higher level. Uh, there is always going to be a battle whenever the light of God begins to invade the territory of, of the evil one. And although it is important to know whom we are fighting against, It's more sure to be to know who's fighting with us. It's important that we know that who's in this battle with us. So as we're going forth and as we're looking, and as we're looking at what's happening, we have to understand that in our community and everything that's been happening, I know a lot of people have been really, really upset. They've been upset by what's been happening around here. They're upset what happened on Friday night. You got a right to be upset. There's a lot of folks disturbed, angry. But see, now, when when we're looking at this from a spiritual perspective, if you don't mind, we got to look at what Annapolis is. The slaves came in right down at the harbor. There is a spirit of bondage that's resting over the city. It hasn't been broken. And so we can't, miss, we can't miss that, if you will, because you have to understand not only the history, but you got to understand the spiritual history. And then when that history of, of, of captivity, the chains that came, you have to understand the ground that we're on right now, slaves were here. And so when we dismiss Or don't pay attention and don't lock into the invisible and to the spiritual history of a place or a people or a family. That's what generational curses come from. If you don't pay attention to them, they will continue to abide and reside and continue to hold people in chains and in oppression and in depression and anxiety and fighting one another and at one another and black men killing black men. It will continue. Till we get an understanding and be clear that it means more that we get the, just as much as we fight with our mouths and with the ballot, we got to fight with our knees. Yeah. Yeah. Because other than that, we're in a gloss cause. Because the truth of the matter is this is that we have the invisible world and we have the visible world, and you and I we live in the intersection of it. We write in the intersection. Some of you might be wondering why you've been praying for a long time for something to happen. Some chains to be broken. And when I was putting this message writing this message, this, um, this passage came to my mind: um, "Pull out your Bibles, Daniel, chapter 10. Y'all know where I'm going from. Daniel Daniel, chapter 10. And we're going to look at. Chapter 12, verse 12, I mean. Just give you a backstory. So, Daniel had been praying. He had received a vision, but the vision was not clear to him. He did not have an understanding. You know, sometimes God will give you a vision, but you may not know what it is. You're not clear. And and so, what you have to do is you don't share that vision until you get clarity. And in order for for Daniel to receive clarity, He had to fast, go into his Daniel fast, if you will, uh, so that he could pray. But this is what happened. He began to pray, and then the angel comes to him. Verse 12, and the angel speaks to him, and he says, then he continued. This is the, the angel speaking. Do not be afraid, Daniel. Catch this. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Verse 13, but, everybody said but, but "But the prince of the Parisian kingdom, that means there is an entity, there is a power that is resting over a city. He said the prince, that means that prince has some ownership. That meant that prince was a ruler over this particular area, over this area, over the Persian kingdom. He said, resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief prince, came to help me. Because here you go, I was detained there with the king Persian. You wonder why something hasn't happened. It's a good possibility that your angel is coming to fight for you and to bring you the answer is being detained. And so you got to pray that the warring angel will now come and intercede and fight so that the messenger, the message that God wants you to receive will get to you. Do you hear what I'm saying? You got to pray and be in constant prayer that get this, the messenger wasn't fighting. He said he was detained. Michael had to come. He had to come and fight the battle. Every day the messenger angel doesn't fight. He's just going to bring the message. So if you're waiting for an answer to a prayer, there's a possibility that maybe your messenger angel is being detained. And the only way he can get to you is that for some miraculous, mysterious, mystical reason, God has set up a system that through prayer is the only way that will release the warring angel to come and bring you the message. Do you follow what I'm saying? I hope, I hope you're following what I'm saying here. You're wondering why there's the, the, the chain has not been broken. Maybe you need to go in prayer. Because your messenger is being detained somewhere. The the, the one who's ruling over your household. The one who's ruling over your neighborhood. The one who's ruling over your job. The one who's ruling over your community. The one who's ruling over your nation is holding it up. And you got to make a decision. Are you going to pray for your freedom? Or are you going to stay locked up in the chains and let your messenger be, be detained by the enemy and stopping you from getting what you need to get? The only way to get your answer is for prayer. That's the only way. Because see, whenever you're about God's business, whenever you're out here trying to live right and do right, Whenever the church becomes involved in outreach and evangelism and is intentionally going out into communities and trying to break a chain and to deal with the systems that are created, the symptoms and all of the problems, you ought to understand you automatically are going to become a threat to the enemy. You are already a threat. So when you get up in the morning, he hates to see you when your feet hit the floor because he knows you're about God's business. And because you're about God's business, you got to understand that he's going to do whatever he can to throw you off. Because he, what he wants you to wants to happen, he wants you to become so frustrated, so irritated, so aggravated that you're going to throw your hands up and say, I quit and walk away from the calling that God had called you to. He never told us it was going to be easy. He said, pick up your cross. Pick it up. Even right there is a choice. You can choose to pick it or you can leave it right there. But at the end of the day, if we're about God's business, we're going to have a cross that we're going to have to bear. And so, as we're looking at at what was happening here, and and again, He wants us to, to throw up our hands, the message is He wants us to look at the person, He wants us to look at the situation. And to see it or they as the problem, when the reality is that the problem is coming from another dimension. There is definitely a war going on and we are right in the middle of it. And God has promised us that we're in this fight, but He did say the battle doesn't belong to you, it belongs to who? The battle's his. We still gonna have to fight. But the battle it belongs to him. I believe that song that um, the choir sings and it was one Sunday that the kids I'm surrounded, I may be surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And the truth of it is, we are surrounded. There is a real, real, live, physical enemy, but then there is one that is almighty, all-powerful, and he is. And he is more. He is with us than those few that run up against us, and that we have to always maintain that. That even though I may be, may look like, that's the part I like. it, it may look like. You might think. Yeah. You thought you had me. You thought that if the pressure was applied hard enough that I was going to quit, but I didn't quit, I'm still here. I'm still here because it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Come on and give the Lord a hand praise.